I'm here with Richard Blake. Richard, welcome to the Ward family. Thank you. And so, Richard, where were you born and where did you grow up? I actually was born in Redwood City, California, at the Kaiser Hospital there. My family lived in Palo Alto at the time, in the Palo Alto First Ward. And one of the great things about moving back to California is that I got to have associations with a lot of the families that my my parents knew. I moved to Washington, D.C. when I was about seven months old, so I don't remember living in California, but... Jane Taylor from our ward babysat my older brothers and sisters. President Haight's grandfather was my, my parents' state president at one point. There's a lot of families in the, in the stake that my parents knew their families. Boyd Smith, his father and my father, worked in the ward in many different organizations. So we have these family webs you know, that, that my family enjoyed when, when they were in Palo Alto uh, and that I didn't get because we moved away, but that I've really enjoyed about being, being back here in California. I did grow up in Washington, D.C., just north of the Beltway, close to Kensington, where the temple is. We arrived about 18 months before the temple was dedicated, and we moved uh, when I was about seven years old to Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, and I lived in Charleston for about seven years until I was 14. And then we moved to Utah, which is where my parents were originally from, Davis County, Utah. Lived in Bountiful. Uh, my parents are from the northern part of the county up near Clearfield and West Point, which is near closer to Ogden. But I went to high school in Bountiful, Utah with Matt Reed. <laughs> he was a couple of years ahead of me in school. And then graduated from there, went to BYU for, for undergrad and law school. But I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. That's the, that's the arc of where I have lived. And next month, on the 5th of November, we'll make 22 years of being in our ward. My wife and, my, and me, Jenny. That's very exciting. You've spoken in a couple of different contexts that I've been around before where you've talked about some of your pioneer heritage. And so maybe you can just spend a minute and talk about how those people who have come before you have helped influence or shape who you are now in terms of either looking back on their experiences or their testimonies that you've read or things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Both sides of my family, my mother's family and my father's family have pioneer heritage. On my dad's side, one of his great-great-grandfather's family lived in upstate New York and didn't join the church in the early days of the church, but followed the church to Kirtland joined the church in Kirtland and then continued making their way west. That ancestor is actually named Hiram Smith King. He was born in Nauvoo, actually, but his ancestors had lived in upstate New York. Um, his mother was actually a, a member of the church who was baptized in England and came over on the ship with William Clayton. So if you've ever seen the movie Legacy, you see the story about this young woman who you know, found out about the church as a young girl in upstate New York and married a, a British convert. We're sort of the opposite. We had a young man who was from upstate New York and then a young woman who had uh, joined the church in England and then moved over. Daniel C. Davis is another one of my ancestors. His, Davis County, Utah, where our family lived, is named after him. He ran the ferry between Montrose, Iowa, and Nauvoo, crossed the Mississippi and then was later in the Mormon battalion. He was one of the captain, captains of the Mormon battalion. I do have this pioneer heritage where I've heard stories as a young child about my ancestors crossing the plains and, and coming across and settling in Utah and sort of making their home there and, and visiting places where they, where they had lived and seeing their graves and 
you know, that movie Legacy came out when I was a young man. And, and because of my own family's heritage that way, it made a deep impression on me, my own pioneer heritage. And one of the things that I love about the church is that that, that heritage, frankly, belongs to all of us, whether we have ancestors in the church or not. I mean, that's the heritage of our church. And the other thing that I've grown to appreciate about pioneers, I served my mission in, in South Africa and saw you know, people in South Africa who waited for 14 years uh, to be baptized. At the time, the, the, the policy in South Africa was that the church couldn't even baptize black members. It wasn't a church policy. It was a, more of an interaction with the government of South Africa during apartheid. And so I knew people in Soweto, which is a big township outside of Johannesburg, who, who had found out about the church in the 60s and literally waited for 14 years until they could be baptized. And listening to their testimonies from their own voice was one of the highlights of my life and certainly of my mission. And hearing them tell the stories about trying to figure out which church was true, seeing the clues in the Bible, knowing that none of the churches that they had seen um, really matched what that New Testament church looked like. And then reading the Book of Mormon and realizing, hey, wait, this is it. (laughs) And then finding the church and then realizing that they couldn't be baptized and just waiting their time. And then being baptized and being the the stalwarts of that branch at the time. Now it's a stake in Soweto. (laughs) But there's pioneers everywhere. There's pioneers in our own ward. And all of us have our own journeys to gain our testimony. And we can all gain strength from Latter-day Saint pioneers, whether they be you know, ones who walked the plains or ones who, who joined the church this week. And in terms of your own journey, as you were growing up, were there certain experiences that you had that particularly stand out in your memory, just in terms of helping you grow or develop as a young man? Many of you have met my parents, and my parents are two of the most faithful, strong, wonderful Latter-day Saints that I know, an incredible credible legacy that they've left for us and you know we weren't a perfect family but you know we tried to have family home evening we tried to have family scripture study we weren't always great at it my father was busy with his work and he was also busy with with church responsibilities being he was a bishop he was in a stake presidency was the stake president but i remember as a family doing all of the things that we'd been asked to do at least trying family prayer and family scripture study and and what have you and I remember as a teenager getting to a point where I felt like I'd always had a testimony, but I needed to, to deepen that testimony. And I remember reading the Book of Mormon and for the first time from front to, from front to back. And um, remember there being particular parts of, of the book where when I read it, I felt particularly close to the Savior and close to Heavenly Father and where as it says in the Doctrine and Covenants, things clicked in my mind and in my heart, and I felt like this is this is true. This rings true to me. And I remember getting to the end, and you know, sort of feeling like what it says is you're supposed to read it and ponder it and pray about it. So I'm going to be very careful in that order. I'm going to read it and then think about it and pray about it. And at the end, sort of praying and thinking and. What am I feeling? Am I is this is this true? Is it not true? Thinking back on all of the times as I had read it where things had rung true, it's like why are you praying? Like you've you already know. Like you've read it. You've you've already seen the truth of it. I also remember even before then we had a a book. I still own this book. It's a it's a it's a children's book on Joseph Smith, and I remember sitting on my bed in my room in Maryland. I must have been three or four and having 
like my older siblings read this book to me about Joseph Smith. And just the whole Joseph Smith story ringing true to me. We used to drive from, from Maryland and from South Carolina to Utah to visit our family. I know we visited a bunch of church sites, but, but I always remembered Nauvoo. I always loved going to Nauvoo and going to Carthage and being at the jail where the Prophet Joseph was martyred. From those experiences as well, even before reading the Book of Mormon itself, I remember having a great deep love and respect uh, for Joseph Smith and a testimony that what he said was true and that he was the prophet of the restoration. So those are some of the the real formative experiences. Those have only, you know, those are sort of like the early building blocks, right? And then over, you know, more time as I've continued to to grow up and and raise a family of my own and go on a mission and serve in the church, you sort of build on top of that and build on that foundation. But those are some of the, that's the early foundation. And so after this time in kind of young men and then the kind of high school years, you go off to college and you went to BYU. But was it pretty clear cut that you really wanted to go to BYU or were there other schools kind of in the run? That was not the plan. The plan was not to go to BYU. (laughs) The plan uh, from the time I was about 12 was to go to the, the Air Force Academy. I remember I loved flying. I loved being in the air. I loved you know, the whole concept, you know, I, I lived in Washington, D.C. around the time that there in Space Museum was was dedicated. And like my mom used to take me there anytime I could convince her <laughs> to take me there. Uh, and so from the time I was about 12, I had known about the Air Force Academy and I like that was my goal. And I, you know, I remember getting copies of the admissions catalog and reading like, OK, this is what we expect of, of cadets who are going to come to the Air Force Academy and you need to have these academic requirements and you need to have these athletic abilities and you need to have these leadership qualities. And so literally from the time I was like 12 or 13 or 14, like every decision that I made about my life was about, okay, well, is this going to help me academically or athletically or from a leadership perspective to be able to tick all the boxes that I need to, to get into the Air Force Academy? And when I was a senior, Um, I applied to two schools. I applied to the Air Force Academy and I applied to BYU as my backup. You have to be accepted to the academy, but you also need an appointment from from one of your senators uh, or from a congressman. And I remember the day that I got the letter from Senator Hatch saying, I'm appointing you. Pretty soon after that came the letter from, and it was early admittance. So like I was in the top 1% of all the applicants to the Air Force Academy. Um, and I was flabbergasted, like this thing that I had been working literally for like six years was finally coming true. I remember this letter and it was like, you know, sign at the bottom of this letter to accept your appointment. You know, that was the time when it was like, I sat down with my parents and they're like, now you have a decision. You've got the academy and you've got BYU. And, you know, my dad sat down and talked to me about the eighth section of the Doctrine and Covenants and the ninth section of the Doctrine and Covenants where it says to study it out study a decision out, make your own decision, take that decision to the Lord. And if it's right, you'll feel a burning in your bosom. If it's wrong, you'll feel a stupor of thought. And, you know, of course I thought I'd been thinking about it for five years, like I six years, I knew what I want, you know, this is what I wanted to do. And I kept praying, like, should I go to the academy? Should I go to the academy? Should I go to the academy? And it just never felt right. And after literally what was a couple of months of, of praying about it, I finally was like, well, I'm, I don't feel like I'm getting the confirmation that I think I should be getting. And so I, I asked a different question and I asked, you know, should I go to BYU? 
what I really want to do is go to the academy, but I, I'm not getting the answer. Like maybe what I should do is go to the, to go to BYU. Is that what I should do? And I, I, that is when I got a very clear direction that that's where I should go and that's what I should do. What's interesting is that, and I won't tell Jenny's story, but but Jenny had a very similar experience two years later um, when she was figuring out where to go to college, where she had always wanted to go to Wellesley, and her best friend, you know, and her had had this plan to go to Wellesley together, and she was accepted to Wellesley, and she also got accepted to BYU, and she had you know her own experience coming to that same answer that that for her Wellesley wasn't the right thing, but BYU was, and it's interesting because. You know, you never know exactly what, you know, why certain things happen. But about three years later, I was sitting in my apartment, my flat in, in South Africa. I had about five months left on my mission. And you have to understand, if I had gone to the Air Force Academy and if I had wanted to stay at the Academy, the way that you do it is you spend two years at the Academy, then you have to resign your commission and then reapply to get back in. So I would not have gone on my mission, you know, when I went on my mission, I would have gone a year later. So I was in the last five months of my mission. I get a call from my mission president in South Africa saying, you need to come down to my offices in the next 24 hours. He says, you're getting transferred out of the mission. You're getting transferred to Zambia. He's like, the, the church is reopening the, comp- the country of Zambia for the preaching of the gospel and you, you're going and you're going to go help reopen this country. And I, I asked my mission president the next day when I got to his, you know, I said, if I, if I was only a year out in my mission, and not, you know, close to the end of my mission, would I be going? He's like, there's no way. Like, there's no chance. And so sometimes you, sometimes you know why th- certain things happen and sometimes you don't. But between meeting Jenny a couple months later at BYU, literally in the first class back from my mission, um, and also having that amazing opportunity the last five months of my mission to be in Lusaka, Zambia and sort of help uh, reopen, reopen the the teaching of the gospel in in Lusaka. I do feel like my path was was not to be at the Air Force Academy, but to be at BYU and to get on a mission a year later and to be in Zambia two years later than that. So, kind and of why does the Lord need you in Zambia? You know, I don't know. It was a really great experience. This group of saints who had you know, written to church headquarters. Some of them had had been in school and other things like that in England and they had returned back to Zambia and the church wasn't there and and they had sort of written to church headquarters and said please send missionaries please send missionaries and so there was a young couple an older couple who had been called it was part of the Zimbabwe mission and they had gone to Zimbabwe and they were asked to go and sort of be the first ones so they got there about 10 months before we did and me and another missionary from South Africa went up and met two missionaries from Zimbabwe and the the six of us were like we were, we were out, you know, forging ahead and they split a branch uh, while we were there. They had two branches and now they've got a stake in Lusaka in the capital and a couple of districts around the country and it's its own mission now. Zambia and Malawi are part of its own mission and it was an incredible sort of experience to see the church start from the beginning. It's like this pioneer heritage that I was talking about. I remember my last Sunday in, in Zambia I talked with the members of the branch and I, I talked to them about my grandparents and about how like in my grandparents' family, just between people not having children or whatever, like the only Blakes who exist that are my direct family ancestors, you know, descendants are from my, my father's father and mother, Loy and Irma Blake. And they had five kids and those five kids had kids and 
people went on missions and like of that family, there's now hundreds. Loy and Irma's posterity have covered the earth, you know, in terms of serving missions and working and influence, you know, and whatever. And have and there's, you know, thousands of people all over the world. And I, I tried to instill upon those saints in Zambia that day, like, like you are part of something here. You are part of the beginnings of something really cool. And if you can just stay faithful and teach your kids the gospel, get them on missions, get down to Johannesburg, get to the temple, stay faithful to your covenants. Like even though there's only a handful of you right now, this is going to spread and it's going to continue. You know, your influence will, will, will carry over and will carry throughout the world. And trying to instill in them that sort of, you know, it doesn't take long for your effect to multiply. I don't know, maybe that's why I was there is because I had this, this sort of perspective of, of my own family's heritage and, and what an influence, you know, a couple of righteous individuals can have on not just themselves and their own family, but through the course of a, of a country and through the course of the world. So I will put in a plug for Jenny's uh, podcast episode. So if you do want to hear about how Jenny decided to go to BYU as well, and then as Richard was saying, a little bit more about how they met and, and ultimately got together, definitely go check out her episode there. But Richard, for you, um, so you did ultimately, you mentioned earlier that you ultimately went to law school. So what was it that drew you towards <laughs> the law or towards law school? Um, and you did get to do that with Jenny as well. So were you just following her into that or was that something that you were already interested in? No, it was definitely something I was already interested in. Uh, I realized in my first co- like my first semester at BYU, I, I took like an equal number of math and physics classes as well as like some political philosophy classes. I actually took a, a, a political philosophy class with Eric Bettinger with a couple other good friends. We were freshmen together. From those classes, I realized like, look, I really, I can do the math, I can do the science, but what I really love is is reading and writing and using the persuasive word. And so law school had been something that I had thought about doing, but I remember going to my dad over Christmas break and saying, dad, I'm, I'm dropping out of linear algebra and physics 122 and I'm going to go be an English major and I may as well have told my father you know dad I'm in jail I've robbed a bank and I did it I'm guilty and they're going to throw me away for a long time oh and by the way uh, I want to leave the church because <laughs> um, the look on his face was about the same I think as if I had told him that and he did his best to try to, my father's an engineer and he did his best to try to convince me to stay in, in, in math and science. And that if I had to be a lawyer, why don't I be a productive lawyer and be a patent lawyer? But instead, I, I knew that I wanted to go to law school. And I think what it attracted me about the law was sort of the intellectual rigor of it and realizing that, you know, people had real life problems that they needed people to solve and fix their problems. And that sort of interested me and in being able to at the time, I had no idea sort of what kind of law exactly I wanted to do. I knew I didn't want to go to court, which was interesting because most people who go to law school, and that's certainly what Jenny, Jenny is a court lawyer. She, in the employment side, she, she loved going to court. I want to stay out of court. <laughs> Along the way, I sort of realized I wanted to be a corporate lawyer and advise companies on different laws that they have to, to follow. And today, I work with a lot of public companies who, whose stock is traded on the NASDAQ or the New York Stock Exchange. And so I help them with uh, filings that they have to make with the Securities and Exchange Commission. I help them with 
the governance uh, laws that they have to, to comply with um, on either the NASDAQ or the New York Stock Exchange. I help them with Delaware law issues because most of them are incorporated in Delaware and have to follow different aspects of Delaware law. So that's what attracted me, being able to take a company's or a situation and uh, help figure out you know, how to navigate a certain situation within the confines of the law and the sort of the intellectual rigor of it is what attracted me. What I didn't really fully understand when I went to law school was, was how much of a business it is and, and how I'm selling my time, essentially. That is a challenge when, when your time is not your own, necessarily, when your time you know, belongs to your clients. And that's something that I don't know that I fully appreciated when I went to law school, but that I've had to learn to deal with as a lawyer. You mentioned earlier that you've now been in this area, in this ward, for 22 years almost. Yeah. And uh, so you've raised a family here in the area. You have a son in college and on a mission. You have some other kids on the verge of going off to college. So when you look back at becoming a parent and then just your time in the ward, are there certain things that you would point to in terms of how you've grown as a person and you know, maybe also how your relationship with God is? has maybe changed or evolved over that same time period? When Jenny and I moved into the ward, we didn't have any kids. And not only did we not have any kids, but we had been told by some pretty smart fertility specialists that we would not have, um, or that it would be very challenging for us to have our own kids, certainly without more invasive medical procedures. And a lot of the members of the ward who saw us move in 22 years ago remember us, you know, sort of, struggling through that and trying to deal with the difficulties of, of, of not being able to have kids. And like you said, before you know it, like <laughs> we had a family of four and all that happened here. So in many respects, if I think that not only did my children grow up in this ward, but I kind of grew up in this ward too. Becoming a father and raising your own children is, is really the process that really makes you grow up. Before this ward, the longest I'd ever lived in a ward was seven years. So I've lived here three times longer than I've lived in any other ward in my entire life. And, you know, I turned 50 this year, 22. I mean, that's almost half my life that I've, that I've lived and been part of this ward family. You know, looking back on that, the thing that I, that I realize, Jenny and I had, had our issues and our challenges. But if I look at all the families that we've known over 22 years of being in this ward and all the individuals that we've known, every one of them has had their own issues, their own difficulties. I love President Eyring's quote about being in the district presidency in Boston and having the district president tell him how, you know, whenever you meet somebody, just realize about half the time they're going through some really challenging situation, a difficult, or they've gone through some, some traumatic, difficult thing in their life. And, and President Eyring's reflection on that is it wasn't exactly true. It's a much higher number than half. And so if we think about it, as I reflect on, on being in the ward for this and sort of growing up and raising my own children and seeing everything is we, as a ward, I think, help each other through those events. The friendships that we, that we develop with people and the structure of having a ward family allows us to be, if we'll let it, in an environment and in a community that can buoy each other up. Jenny got really sick right after Miles was born, in the month after Miles was born. We were in the hospital on Miles's one-month birthday um, for Jenny, for Jenny being sick. And 
when even when we came home from the hospital, she had to rest a lot and spend a lot of time in bed. And I was trying to get back to work. You know, I think her father is particularly 22 years ago or 20 years ago, like the policies about being away from work were not quite what they are today. And Jenny and I remember like a lot of ward members coming over and just sitting with Miles and with Jenny and just being in the house with them. These are women who were mothers and grandmothers of their own. And, you know, under normal circumstances, Jenny would never necessarily have, you know, friendships with people who were twice her age, but they became some of, you know, and I'm telling Jenny's stories here, but some dear, dear friends, people who we look back fondly about and feel like they're part of the fabric of our life now and you know, people who come up all the time I, in fact today today I was I was walking into the into church and sister Kenny was leaving and and sister Kenny had been Jackson's primary teacher a long time ago and she saw Jackson who has grown up quite a bit since he was in sister Kenny's primary class and she just commented commented to me like you know, I, I can't believe how, you know, and so people all the time will come up to me and remind me like, hey, I used to teach, you know, this child in nursery or I had, you know, this child in primary or whatever. And we end up getting involved in each other's lives and, and, and helping each other, helping each other raise our kids or get through challenging situations or forge through issues. And, and it's one of the things I love about our ward and about being in a ward is that we have the ability to to nurture and bless and help each other. Well, I think that is the perfect place for us to end today. And I know I've really just treasured your family being a part of mine um, over the years and all of the intersection points between our kids, between, you know, just our families more broadly. And so thank you for everything that you've done to make our Ward family what it is. For those people who don't know you or maybe don't know you as well as they'd like to, hopefully they'll come say hi and introduce themselves and, you know, spend some additional time with you. So thanks uh, for being a part of this, Richard. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Greg. Appreciate it.